Hello, and welcome back to another week of the DP World Tour Picks and Bets. Skylar Hoke here, joined by Tom Jacobs. And the first thing I have to say, Tom, is thank you very much. Because you gave me a nice, gentle shove after a month of backing Darius Van Driel and said, are you sure you want to leave him off your card at what we're deeming a perfect course fit? And wouldn't you know, the last man standing was Darius Van Driel, hit at 90-1. to 1, So thank you very much, my friend. You're welcome. The, the strangest thing is I didn't follow my own advice. Like I like I picked up from what you said about how perfect it would be for him in the coming weeks, reminded you of that fact, and then just decided to go on this Sebastian Garcia train, who, by the way, actually hit the ball really nicely off the tee um, for the first two rounds. It was just terrible overall. But, um, yeah, it wasn't a good week for me. But for you, Van Drill, really happy. Good for the show. Back-to-back winners now, obviously, um, with Hoshino and then Van Drill. Um whether we can find a three in a row at the SDC Championship is definitely up for debate. Uh, I think it's one of the, I would say, Sky, this is a spoiler alert for anyone that's listening now, probably the least confident I've ever been um, of a DP World Tour event, maybe in the last six months or so at least. Um, which maybe that, that just means that we'll find the right person. But it's, um, yeah, it's just been a tough one, Sky. Like it's, it's a difficult course because we've only got the one year of real DP World Tour form. Um, and you always want to think these South Africans are going to come over and do well, and you can kind of identify which one, but I think we're seeing that might not happen. I think overall, it, what's hard is no stroke gain statistics. Let me go here. For those in the UK, and I don't even know stateside, it's not on Sky Sports. I've already seen people kind of give pushback, right? So there's no video. There's, no, there's not availability of knowing what's actually happening from a visual standpoint. Um, Sunshine Tour has played it. A good amount of times, uh, pretty abundant. So we can guess what St. Francis Lynx is going to look like based off of a profile of Matt Baldwin and Audrey Arnas um, and others who played well in the past year. But yes, it is a little bit of flying blind in the sense of what this week could hold ahead for us. Yeah, and I think, look, I th- you know, you, you're presented with these kind of challenges in the past, right? And you, and you kind of have to cope with them. And sometimes it means you don't overthink some of your picks. You don't get into in the weeds and you just pick the guys that made the most sense to you at the time. And at other times you are really lost. But I think I think the thing, if I cast my mind back, and I, I haven't actually checked what we said on the show last year, but I think we were probably targeting longer hitters that was going to take advantage of a bit more room off the tee for links events. And how it actually transpired, Sky, at this tournament last year was accuracy basically dominated um you know in the driving accuracy statistics matthew baldwin ranked second for driving accuracy and obviously won the event christian crow johansson who was uh, the leader for a long time he ranked third in driving accuracy and finished third adrian as you mentioned there he ranked fourth for driving accuracy over 82 percent of the fairways and finished second now one thing you could say is are they slightly easier to hit that wasn't the case because it was so windy um so actually, I think it is one of those ones where it is time. Probably, I guess you just roll over from last week, right? Like, although we were demanding accuracy off the tee because of, you know, being tree-lined and tight, we're also just demanding accuracy off the tee this week because the conditions say we should. So, um, yeah, a little bit kind of reformatting in my mind of how I kind of approach a links event. I do still think it's not the traditional kind of links of, of you know Alfred Dunhill and, and things like that and Open Championships, but I do think there is still some kind of sense in looking at those links results in the past as well. So 
Yeah, it's just a real mishmash, I think, of, of events and, and tournaments and what we've seen in the past. But I think overall, I'm quite happy with who I've landed on the end, despite the kind of unnerving nature of, of going in a bit blind. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess when we show up at an event similar to this, and this you know was Kenya, and we might be getting this again next week in South Africa, as we have a couple of events here, is that top of the leaderboard, right? I mean, or top of the odds board. Uh, Ewan Ferguson, once again, kind of being up there, the favorites with Tristan Lawrence, woke up this morning to see Xander Lombard on the top of an odds board, getting cut even shorter. Now back in his home country, Tom McKibben um, rounds out the kind of the four clear guys I've seen betting cards with with multiple of them. I think the confidence in Ferguson's game just is so, I guess, consistent from a ball striking standpoint. I I like I mentioned last week, he he does intimidate me even more than sometimes some of the more volatile guys that we have seen who might just have a better profile. But uh, any thought to anybody at the top of the board? I was I think I said this last week. I was tempted by Tristan Lawrence, and I am again this week, but didn't get there i guess if xander lombard's ever going to take advantage of this current run it's going to be in south africa would be the um obvious answer but no i think when they were all sub 20 to one i was kind of fine to leave them alone and and went further down the board at kind of 35 to one for my first pick uh based on you know a good winning pedigree yeah i'm uh i'm down the board too for right now as as we each kind of get into here tom but i'll let you kick it off there's a guy that Probably makes a lot of sense. Saw himself on the top of the leaderboard in Kenya on a course fit that was uh, quite perfect for uh, El Pirata, um, the pirate there. But Adrian Otegi, if you want to go into um, your thoughts there. It's an interesting one of Adrian Otegi because I was just looking kind of back for, I mean, his first two um, tournament wins on DB World Tour obviously came in match play events, right? So um, that that was one thing to kind of look at. But when he, he won the Scottish Championship in 2020, coming off a miscut, and he won the Andalusia Masters in 2022, also coming off a missed cut. Um, so actually, the idea that he's just because he's finished fourth last week, we should suddenly race to him may not be the case. But before he won in um, in the Andalusia Masters, he'd missed the cut at Dunhill Links the week before, but had finished 13th in France, 25th in Italy, and 13th at Wentworth. And it was kind of a similar thing in 2020 where he'd been playing really good, missed one cut, and then um, won the Scottish Championship. So... I think he kind of gives you a little bit of a signal that he's going to go and do well. And he did miss the cut here last year, which, you know, is always a little bit off-putting. Um, but I just think in terms of accuracy, this is a guy that's sixth on tour um, in terms of driving accuracy. He's a player that has got a ton of pedigree, as we know. Um, and I, I just think for Otegi, it's, it's a field that he should take absolute advantage of. He was 11th in strokes game approach last week. Um, that's always promising to see 13th in T to green. And look, he's he's not the longest guy. I mean, he's you know, one of the shortest, actually, in terms of driving distance. And I would love to couple both distance and accuracy up, but that kind of profile is, is reserved for the kind of 18 and 21 picks, right? So I think for me, it's, it's get that accuracy type on board, someone that I know that can win, someone that's played some good golf um, in courses or in events where you'd kind of like to link it to in the Scottish Championship, great. You know, you're going to get a little bit of win there and, you know, some kind of faux links, um, you know, situations there. English Championship, he was second in that. And he's played well in South Africa. He was second in the Alfred Dunhill uh, Championship in the past. So, Shwani Open, he was sixth. He, he's been there or thereabouts in, in South Africa in the past. And I think that really was promising on top of the fact that, obviously, he played so well last week. So, slight pause on the fact that he obviously missed the cut 
last year, but I'm not going to get too hung up on that. I think we've seen it so many times in the past now. And actually, when you look at his form kind of coming in, he finished 30th at the Kenya Open before missing the cut here last year. Then we missed the cut the week after, and actually going into the into that kind of uh, form, he, he started really slowly. And I think that's kind of a um, you know pattern of his career, really, like he slowed slow starts, then kind of kicks on the middle part of the year. So. I'm kind of confident that he can come and bounce back and, and do well this time around. Yeah. I mean, I love rooting for him, right? I mean, just a, a golfer who's fun to watch, fun to battle um, at a ballpark that is over overpowered or can be. It's definitely not his game. So thinking it's going along these lines definitely should hopefully suit for him this year. Um, for me, I'm still deeper. I, I'd like you to go next with, what even could be a, a pair of brothers um, in the yeah. mid-range here. One, and actually both, played exceptional last week, right? So are these guys um, carrying this over into this week? Yeah, so I've gone with Nacho Elvira at 55-1. to one. Manuel is 55-1 to one as well. Um, Manuel Elvira was the 54-hole leader with Darius Mandrill last week and, and did kind of fade away a little bit. Uh, Nacho was cheering him on to kind of get his best finish on the DP World Tour so far, and he did. I've just slightly leaned with Nacho on the basis that I think if this was what I thought it was last year and it was this kind of um big driving golf course where you need a bit more power then I would would I would have gone with um with Nacho but I think he will actually benefit from the shorter well not the shorter but the kind of accuracy test now again actually Manuel's far ahead of Nacho so far in terms of driving accuracy stats for the season but I just think that he will find that Nacho in in time. Um, and you look at how he finished uh, the tournament last week. He, he was excellent. You know, he, he's 16th after both for the first two rounds, then went into the weekend, sixth after 54 holes, second going into into the final there. He was 13th for the Qatar Masters. Again, nice wind-affected golf course. 16th for the Raz Al Khaimah. Um, 45 and 28th in Dubai, where it wouldn't necessarily suit his game. I think Nacho has, has shown a lot um in the last few weeks so as someone that is a winner on a dp world tour albeit once um this is a guy that's lost three times in playoffs as well so he's definitely got something to kind of look at um when you think about that win where he's won it was celtic manor linksy at the start of the course and and kind of uh, pans out into a normal course uh, later on he's also got top 10 the alfred dunhill link so he's got that um, he was top 25 here last year. He's got that over his brother, who also didn't play as well. So, yeah, I think, I think for me, how well he's played in kind of South Africa in the past, how well he's played here in the past, how well he's playing overall. I think Metro Vera represents decent value at 55 as well. Yeah, um, it's fun to see both the duo. Manuel, I mean, stepped up immediately upon getting on the tour. Right, he's somebody who. Um, I guess both really could have had it for the taking. Like Vandriel played well and confident, but man, there was definitely opportunities across the board for others to kind of take it. Um, and, you know, Nacho has that type of history in it. Somebody that uh, I've been, I was very sad, I guess, that did not play last week, but I do not want to give up early on again after we saw an outstanding performance um, up against your boy Hoshino the week before. But, you know, Ugo Kusad is just, I think, firing on all cylinders. It's a golfer who 
I believe we kind of leaned a little bit more into the distance angle when I when I first kind of came upon him at the hero. He popped on the radar a little bit with an early good round and then basically improving upon his performances week after week. I wouldn't say he's a bomber. I wouldn't say he's the most accurate, but multiple times he has gained off of the tee. And what he does have is a stellar short game, a very good putter this so far this year. Um, has played well in South Africa, 15th at that Alfred Dunhill Championship at Leopard Creek um, for him earlier on in the year. I mean, if you looked at some of um, you know his previous performances, I think the sky's the limit still for Ugo Kusad at this stage of the DP World Tour. Right, he's a 31-year-old, somewhat of a journeyman in that in that manner of really looking for that first true breakthrough. And what we've seen for a month now just leaves me wanting to continue to go back to him, even though it may not play into the hands of which that month of golf did when it was driver heavy. I like him a lot this week. Yeah, I think I think Ugo Kassad and Manuel Vera are very similar, right? They're both at you know different um, later stages of their career without ever actually playing at this level before. Uh, it's taken Manuel Vera a long time to get here as well. And, um, you know, Manuel Vera has been a 36-hole leader and a 54-hole leader in his last four starts. Obviously, Casada, as you said, went blow for blow with Hoshino for a long time and at one point looked like he was going to pip him, right? So I do think that, yeah, I think that he shows every signs of being able to compete. I think that seems pretty similar to Manuel Vera in terms of they both come off the Challenge Tour. I don't think either of them won on the Challenge Tour, right? So it's not like they've they've got through in that way and we expect them to produce fireworks. I think they've just been very solid um, with their start out. So yeah, I've been, I've been impressed with, with both of them and yeah, it, it seems pretty good. So I think Avila is slightly younger. He's I think 27, 28, but still it's taken him a decent amount of time to get here. Whereas Cassard is, you know, that little bit longer, but yeah, we, we've seen him in recent weeks, Davis Van Drill, you know, he, he was 30 odd and gets his first win right after never really showing signs of being able to win. So, um, yeah, I think we're picking the right kind of profiles of players. It's just going to be which ones turn up this week, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, when looking at it, again, it's difficult to to really parse through. I think at this, I guess, stage of the DP World Tour, stage of co-sanctioned events, and maybe I'll, I'll go on my tangent now because um, – We've always historically been super high proponents of the co-sanctioned events because it brings more opportunity for us. But this is the first time I think I've got a little bone to pick. Um, and it's kind of because it goes into somebody that I'm, I'm looking at selecting here and probably will. And I'm struggling finding stats. And I kind of get into this tangent of looking into status and looking who gets into this and that. The guy that I've been super keen on who played really well last week, Nicolo Galetti, finishing T11th. I'm thinking, man, I just counting down the seconds until we get another opportunity to bet on him, truthfully, because I think so highly of his game, plays well last week, comes to a course, we talked about accuracy mattering, and you know, what he what where where is he, right? Where is he on the list of of golfers and getting this event? And unfortunately for the Q school guys, and Galetti's not alone, Joe Dean, who played better than Galetti, finishes second, is not here either because the top ten exemptions are no longer in play on a co-sanctioned event. So Dean and Galetti are left on the sidelines when we have multiple South Africa events here, co-sanctioned challenge tour isn't up and running. 
And Challenge Tour, when it comes back, is co-sanctioned with the PGA Tour of India. So I don't even really know if those guys can just pop down as easily or fly over there to play too in those type of events. So I just feel bad for those guys in which they can't continue any momentum. It's got to be a frustrating time. And I know it's frustrating for the corn Ferry grads on the PGA tour who aren't getting starts either. And you got to play well when you get it. And then when you play well, I don't even know when the next reshuffle is in the DP world tour. So long way of win, long way of saying if for some reason, Nicolo Galetti shows up on an odds board, I'm betting him, but he's not getting into this event, which, which is sad. I, I was sitting there thinking as well, Skylar, you know, and look, I'm done with the kind of live versus PGA debate, right? But it's going to lean into that slightly. Greg Norman was this big proponent all these years ago of kind of like having a more global tour, right? And we wanted to bring all these players together. And it was basically because he was an Australian that felt a bit outcast by the Americans. That, that's generally how that went. But I do think a byproduct of live being introduced has actually bought a global game closer together in the sense that we're seeing more Europeans populate these PJ Tour leaderboards. Of course, they got, you know, 10 cards this year, which was the first thing that we've seen you know, for a while. But what that's done is Matty Pavon's gone and won a Tory pie and Sammy Vanamaki had a great chance to win yesterday, probably should have done. Now, I'm not going to count Stephen Yeager on his argument because he's effectively American, I think, at this point. But Robert McIntyre was um, tied sixth. You know, Eric Van Royen is someone that was, you know, playing DP World Tour stuff for a long time. Um, you know, Jorge Campillo is inside the top 20. I thought that was miraculous. I didn't think that course was great for him at all um, last week. So you're seeing what these guys are doing with some opportunities. I mean, we've seen it with Matt Wallace in recent years as well. Um, I do think it's important to focus on the fact that we're, we're getting closer in terms of bringing the DP World Tour and the PJ Tour closer together. But what we're not doing, Sky, is your point, is we're not bringing those guys that are now reaching this level and getting them to the springboard kind of stops. We, we, we've kind of gone, OK, well, it's a great thing that these DP World Tour players are getting closer to the PJ Tour through good play, but we're not letting the guys that have actually earned spots onto the DP World Tour um, in limited capacity to play every week and kind of springboard, as, as you just said with Galetti there as a good example. So I do think there's, for every step forward, there seems to be one step back. It's not as dramatic as one step forward, two steps back, but... Um, a couple of own goals scored by probably both tours at this point, especially with the corn. I mean, look what Jay Knapp did yesterday. I mean, you know, right. it was brutal for, for us, right? But, like, he was playing corn ferry tour off limited status. Like, I think he only played, like, 14 events, right? Like, he didn't play a lot. Um, he was, a you know, a bouncer for a couple of, like, you know, six months, whatever it was, um, because he basically had no way of playing. And then he goes and wins on a PJ tour, and it's... It, what are we doing if we're avoiding these kind of stories? And, you know, PJ Talk could not have been more into his story for the four days that he was in contention. They they flooded socials with it. It was a great story. We, heard, we saw the interviews with his grandfather and things like that. Um, these, are, these are stories that can be found if we do it properly. And what's the opportunity cost of putting Nicolo Galetti in this field in the SDC Championship? I mean, there isn't one, is there? So I don't really understand why we're, why we're leaving those out. Yeah, 100%. And and what's smart is another golfer in this field, James Nicholas, who we've talked about a lot. He parlayed that that Instagram like stardom and fandom into sponsors exemptions. He's into the next two events because of sponsors exemptions. So genius by him um, kind of playing that angle. I, I, I'd assume that's part of the angle, right? Like a name yeah. like him getting that and why he's um, why he's into the event. Super smart because Man, um, 
if there's not that many opportunities you need to take advantage to, to now regain and what's important is being in that top 125 or 120 for next year right and you keep recycling into these events so uh crucial for him yeah absolutely yeah look i think it's i think the system needs to be clearer it's as simple as that like make the system clearer make it smoother make it attainable for these guys that have worked their way on to you know through qualifying and things like that and played so well in the recent weeks to, to get in and, and play um yeah and we'll be good one yep. player i thought, thought about sky i don't know if it i don't know if you can remember why have we not seen dan bradbury for a while uh, i don't know i see him all over my instagram so he's playing has, he's healthy has he played an event recently and i've just missed it or like a I mean, he missed a bunch of cuts in a row, I think, when we kind of saw him ranging into the 50s. I mean, he's now, last time we saw him, Byron, he played, so. Okay, so it's not that long ago. Like, I, I no. just figured, like, we'd see him in um, kind of, like, Qatar and, and Kenya and all those sort of places, and we haven't seen him. Maybe he's just taking some time off to figure out his game. So, nothing disastrous there then for Denver. No, no, no. Um, I guess long-winded, and I probably skipped over this, but he's lo- as long as 66, the each way, which I'll probably land on, is actually 50 for Ryan Van Velzen. Um, if we talked about golfers who have kind of contended on their leaps over, Van Velsen did that right away um, when he played at the uh, South African Open, losing out to Burmeester in that event. I believe he was final group, if not one of the last going off. Shot a Sunday 73 when kind of Dean took control with a really, really good weekend um, and, and won that event. But what Van Velsen then went out on the Sunshine Tour, he won. And then in the co-sanctioned challenge tour events, he was seven, second, and then he miscut at the Dimension Data Pro-Am, which I I vividly, vividly remember, it was just two weeks ago. But <laughs> I, I can, I, I remember our friend Jason, Halfway House, tweeting being frustrated that we missed out on Rivetto at a driver heavy type of course. And then we see Van Velsen come to Kenya the next week and be in the mix, finishing 11th after kind of a subpar Sunday, you know, for him. I mean, he shot 71 again, that event. I mean, Van Driel played great, right? 67 to, to close out win by two, but somebody could have taken that by storm a little bit with a really low one. Um, like Otegi had on Sunday from the thick, from the thick of it. And Van Velsen has put himself now in that spot twice in, in four starts in the DP world tour. I feel confident in him. His game is a little bit more set up. If we look at what we think is the, the statistics from the sunshine tour, two of the three, which has given him statistics for accuracy, show him to be one of the more accurate golfers on the sunshine tour. Um, so I like them in this spot here, even at the shorter odds of 50 with each way. Yeah, I think, look, if we're, if we're looking for a South African who regularly plays the Sunshine Tour and someone that can get in the mix, I think it's Van Belsen. Like, I think that 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 formula is simple, right? Like, I think he's the guy that's playing incredibly well. He did play so well here when it was just a regular Sunshine Tour event. And then when he came here last year, missed the cup. But I think, uh, sorry, he hadn't played it well. And then he finished third, sorry, at the South African Championship, uh, the most recent start. So, whether he's figured something out about the golf course since then, whether he's just a massively improved player, Sky, since the first three times he played the golf course, um, we shall see. But I think, in the day, the stock and the value is in Van Bells and there's someone that's playing really well and should be comfortable at home. Yeah, that's kind of the lean there. Because normally I lean into that. I mean, he's, he's basically the best the best challenge tour player right now. So, uh, or best sunshine tour player right now. Um, and let's see, you are next again. Yeah, so I'm going to go with Daniel Brown, who... 
When we think about Daniel Brown from last year, he was kind of all in on that kind of strong driving, a little bit in the same mould of Dan Bradbury, right? He, he would hit, some, you know, strong. That's why I mentioned kind of Dan Bradbury off the top there. Hitting, you know, good, accurate drives. I think he was inside the top 10 for driving actually by the end of the year. Um, and what he did is he played well in South Africa, and namely at this golf course where he was ninth. And he was actually third going into the final day. He should have finished third, had a you know meltdown over the last few holes. But he won the ISPS Hander last year. He was third in Mauritius at the end of last year, seventh at the Barbasol on the PGA Tour. So those are his three kind of standout things. He go back into 2022, he was fifth in the South African Open Championship. As I said already, ninth here. Um, Czech Masters driver heavy, 14th there. Johnson Workwear Open, again, South Africa, 17th. Joburg Open, 17th. He played a lot of good stuff um, in South Africa in a short period of time. Hasn't played well so far this season, Sky. Um, but I think that's why we're getting you know pretty fancy prices about someone who, as I said just there, had finished you know, the year 17th and 3rd. Um, first in the Joburg Open, then third at the Mauritius Open. So it does it concern me that he's been 43rd miscut, 76th and 61st in his four starts so far in 2021? Uh, 2024, sorry, of course it does. But he was actually 14th after round one at the Qatar Masters. Um, drove it pretty well there by all accounts. And he now comes to an event that he's played well. So returning to South Africa, we do see these repeat performers in this part of the country, uh, part of the world, sorry. And yeah, I think for me, Daniel Brown is a player that is better than what he's showing so far. And if his last season didn't hit to go by, this is a period of time where he should play better again. Yeah. Yep. I can agree with that. I I, I go right to, um, and I guess I'll, I'll go in parallel because of the preview Ben Colia just uh, talked about. And he talked about Daniel Brown and Todd Clements side by side after they won back to back last year. Um, in their events, and I'm siding with Clements. If you look at, um, he's 110 to one as the longest odds, 90s with the each way. Clements, last year that victory for him was completely out of nowhere, right? Not a single top 20 finish um, until that Czech Masters for him, which he played against the best golfers, Matt Wallace, Nikolai Hoygaard, Bob McIntyre, Valamaki, Ludwig Aberg, were all, Yannick Paul, were all in that top 10 in which he competes and wins at Albatross Golf Resort. And, you know, for him to do that at the long odds that he was out of nowhere um, was insanely shocking in, in a lot of ways. And what he did it with was was great iron play. And that's beginning to come back. We saw him, I think he was first, if not, if not first, he was inside the top five in irons last week, was the most accurate he has been in a while. I think that's the fear with him. Off the tee can get wayward. It can't not long um, for him. But if those irons fire like they have, he's now made six cuts in a row dating back to October. Just a lot to, to like for me with the upside of somebody who is extremely talented. Um, you know, the, uh, as an amateur, kind of his career was talked about quite a bit. Um, so for him, who just really hasn't kicked on in that manner since that victory, I'm hoping this can be the spot for Todd Clements again. Yeah, look, back to back. Top 25 pinches of Raz Alkheimer and the Qatar Masters in his last two starts is is obviously impressive enough, right? And I just yeah, that there's there's not a lot. So I I envision Todd Clemens as this bigger hitter, and you know not really so not. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that like when I when I think about Todd Clemens, I think oh he's you know he's won the Czech Masters, he's won the Irish Challenge, he must have just bashed it around and, and done it that way, and that that isn't necessarily the case. And this is one of those things that have been caught out in the past. Like if you don't deep dive all these types of players and 
the one thing I would definitely urge people to do uh, more often is you, you can kind of get in your head that certain. I mean, I for a long time thought uh, Thristen Lawrence was a reasonably good kisser, or Van Sonder. I can't remember which way around. I always get it wrong. Um, and then Louis Diego is a massive hitter. And it's just like you you need to actually continue to remind yourself that the profile of these players is right there in front of you in, you know, tour tips and data golf and everything. It reminds you of the profile of player. And because you can, you can just, there could be a bias in your head where he might have hit it long one week or he might perform well on a long golf course. And you think, oh, he must be a long hitter. And um, it doesn't kind of work out that way. So that's from personal experience. I would go back and look at why players um good and, and as you say there you know Todd Clement's great in approach last time out of the Qatar Masters um, and actually it was just his short game to let him down which has actually been the theme of 2024 right um you know you, you could you know there was two big approach weeks in the Dubai Invitational and the Qatar Masters um and he gained in and off the tee in two of those as well so yeah I think I think keeping an eye on Clement's knowing what we know about him overall Yep. So I'm excited for him overall here this week. I know you go next. I wanted to double check um, because I'm adding somebody here, Tom, that we had not discussed really at all prior. Um, And it's specifically, I guess it's due a little bit to what we saw last week out of him. But he was brought up on the podcast as a ricochet shot in some ways last week when I was searching for the last PGA Tour made cut. Um, and we, we mentioned his golfer in passing Schwab, right? Matthias Schwab. So when I dream of a, a Schwab course, I guess I'll ask the question to you. What, what do you dream of a Matthias Schwab course? I thought Matthias Schwab, when he went over, and I think I did this, he got onto the PGA Tour, right? And played some stuff. And I thought he'd be great at Copperhead for the Valspar Championship. And okay. he wasn't. That was what I think of Matthias Schwab as. So um, that's that's the kind of profile of what I think he is. Okay. I mean, that's that's fair. I guess in the way of what I'm looking for is a course that's not overpowered, right? A course yeah. that is won by accuracy or won by um, just good ball striking, right? I think that's kind of something where Matthias has kind of excelled at. I mean, if you go back year over year for Schwab, his best events, 2021, Wentworth, the Boise Open, which was won by Grayson Sig, Aaron Rye at the top of the leaderboard there. Omega Dubai, another event that is not going to be overpowered. Paul Casey winning that year that he played well. 2022, a Honda Classic, a course that we see this week that demands at least keeping it in play off the tee and, and rewarding. Um, RSM, John Deere. You go even to last year, which was as bad of a year that Matthias Schwab really has had. His four best performances, Worldwide Technology, um, which, you know, a, a Henley and a Harmon win, a Fortinet, which is a little bit more open. Thigala won this one, that event, but Cole, Todd in the leaderboard there. Punta Cana, another one. American Express, top four for events for him there. And and where does he kind of resurface, I guess, a little bit last week? Is he leads the field in strokes gained approach the Magical Kenya Open. 23rd right and just i guess on the surface if i if i find someone finishing 23rd after the history of what we've seen out of schwab i normally don't bat an eye as much as i do but last time out in south africa he was 11th at the alfred dunhill championship um you know he has not missed a cut this is what i was looking at he has not missed a cut in south africa in his life he 29th 41st 13th 14th 52nd and 11th for him five times out in south africa 
I guess I'm betting on the old Schwab to show up after what it was maybe a four round flash, but 110 to one, he was the one that kind of, I was debating between him and Gearbosh truthfully as the final ad there. And I guess I'm hard pressed to not give the benefit of the doubt to Schwab at a little bit shorter of a number of what we know of him. Yeah. Look, I think, I think what Schwab was before he went and did the PJ tour was a player that we felt pretty comfortable was going to make a breakthrough. Right. And, um, didn't didn't transpire. He didn't go and do anything really over on the state side. But I didn't expect him to. As we were kind of alluded to there, it's not a player that we thought would go and you know suddenly do what I don't know Matthew Bavon's done or anything like that. I mean, he he hasn't won yet. He's he lost in the playoff to need to uh, Till Hatton and Kitty Armour all those at Turkish Airlines Open. Uh, yeah, I I really liked Matthias Schwab before he went off, and I think he just disrupted his career and it doesn't work out for everybody when they go back over to, to go back over to the PJ tour or go to the PJ tour for the first time should I say and yeah like you can't blame them for trying to go and do it that's exactly what they need to do it's the pinnacle of, of the tours right and and what they need but now he's back playing a little bit more regularly over here I think he'll benefit from it I mean he had this he was a lengthy Alfred Dunhill and you know as a point out he's, he's got a great record in South Africa he then finishes 23rd in Kenya and you can't sit there and go, look, four missed cuts don't mean anything. But if you're just not a player that succeeds in the Middle East, you're not a player that succeeds in the Middle East. Like it's, it, it, there is a certain part of that. It's kind of a little bit why I'm forgiving Daniel Brown. I think that he can go on and do really well um, now that we're getting to South Africa where he's showed some life. And I do think there's value in, in finding those players that have really felt comfortable um, in this, you know, in this part of the world and, and just get back to that. So, yeah, um, yeah that's, I'm happy to do that. So that's kind of the the reach, I think, in some ways. I mean, I, I, the next two golfers um, probably aren't as familiar for for some two who aren't deep into the weeds of us. Um, I'll let you go, even though mine's one of them's a little bit shorter than yours. You can go ahead with your your final selection. Yeah, so I'm going to go with David Rovetto, who you mentioned earlier, and I, I do think it's just one of those ones where. Again, I think of David Rovetto as this big hitter and not necessarily very accurate, but he's actually inside the top 20 at the moment. I think that will kind of peter out and he'll end up kind of 50th or 60th maybe by the end of the season. Um, but he hits it, you know, long and he's top five in distance this season and he's hitting it pretty accurately right now compared to his peers, um, which is all I'm kind of looking for. And, you know, he dropped back down to the Challenge Tour, wins um, in South Africa, which I think is important. He was 18th here last year. He was leading after round one. He was actually inside the top 10 after 54 holes as well. So, yes, he did struggle in Kenya last week. He wasn't great following that win. But, yeah, just before the end of 2023, Rivetto was 17th in the South African Open Championship, or South African Championship, sorry, and inside the top six for the first three rounds there as well. So I do think that kind of form of, again, we talk about Sky, you just mentioned Schwab there and how well he's played in South Africa. Rivetto is, is now one in South Africa, albeit at a lower level. Um, whatever reason, he loves this part of the world. I think I think what it is, guys, I think there's there's a, a certain level of friendliness. One, they are a little bit of throwbacks in terms of courses over there and you get a nice kind of break from just having to bash it everywhere. But two, the fields are generally a little bit weaker, so maybe they get a chance to kind of develop their game and, and not feel so intimidated when it's more of a Rolex series event or a Middle East event where the prize pools are a little bit bigger. Um, so it could just, you know, fundamentally be that. But there's also players that do just love. I remember speaking to Toby Tree in the past and he used to sort of go out and stay in South Africa, right? And, you know, had friends and family over there that, that kind of put him up. So there is definitely people that kind of base their season, I guess, around performing well at the tail end of the season and the start of the season in South Africa. And I think Rivetto is one of those. So 
as I say, recent win in South Africa, driving it well, uh, played well here last year, led after round one inside the top 10 after 54 holes. I think Rivetto can kind of build on that confidence he had with the win and the performance here last year and 125 to one. I'm willing to take a chance that he finds himself in the mix again for the second time in three starts. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I teed it up for you to go go there because I am going with the winner on the Challenge Tour last week. Um, so Rivetto wins and then Bjorn Akeson wins. Yeah. Um, and we've mentioned Ben, obviously good friend, Coley. Um, hit, tipped him at 100 to 1 last week um, to win on the Challenge Tour. Ben, as well as others, have gotten a little bit lucky. Uh, I am myself, too, <laughs> with 54 holes being favorable for us. Um, so the challenge tour was called for 54 holes um, there. Wyndham Clark had won, you know, a couple of weeks ago prior to that at 54 as well. Um, so, you know, Akison is somebody who had missed the first cut and then Ben had stayed on. And it just caught the eye for me when I started to dig into him. So, again, we were in South Africa last week. He is 35 years old, Tom, but he has a gap in his playing career. He gave it up after having a decent, I would say, amateur, I guess, maybe even a, I guess, a journeyman type of career from like 11 to like a 16, 17. And then the gap comes with one event played in 2019 and then not again until 2021, where he played in the Nordic Golf League and had graduated into the Challenge Tour. 22 did not go well. And then 23, all he did was just rip it up on the challenge tour. Three wins, another, I think, seven top fives on top of that. So Nordic, you know, golf player of the year at 34 years old. And then he comes out and wins his second ever start on the challenge tour. I guess not second ever, but second of the year out of the bad side of the draw and 54 hole win. So, Tom, they did not get. I guess it was an anticlimactic finish similar to Pebble Beach where it was called after the fact that they couldn't play more and maybe he's not out as much celebrating and he just is ready to go play in the the DP World Tour versus um you know type of what could happen after a win after that stage but if I looked at his Nordic Golf League there was a win followed by a top 10 followed by another win 2 weeks later Long-winded, I don't care. You can win back-to-back. 110 to 1 after doing that type of resume. Somebody would have caught my eye no matter if he'd won last week or two weeks ago like Rivetto or whatever it was. That type of style. And I do think, even though you mentioned with Rivetto, his accuracy has been better. Akison missed the cut on a more driver-heavy course and last week didn't feel as much that way. There was a little bit more linksy type. So um, I love it at, at 110s. He's not priced everywhere. So that 110 is the best number I see at the moment. I'm hoping for a book with an each way to post it too. But if not, we'll do a separate top five bet. But 110 is, is the current best odds. Yeah. I mean, look, this is a player that I think whenever, we sort of say this semi-regularly, Sky, whenever a player is someone that wins three times in Nordic Golf League, then goes and wins on the Challenge Tour for the first time, um, and kind of steps up, you know, they can only beat what's, what's in front of them, right? He's not a player that's played regularly on the DP World Tour. He's not had many opportunities. He's had big gaps in his career, as you mentioned. I think he turned professional was, was definitely playing golf by the time he was 15. So, you know, people that start early can take a long time to figure it out. And I think I love these things when people kind of come back to form and, and do it. I mean, Matthew Baldwin for a long time was a real journeyman golfer and then comes and wins this by seven shots. Like, do I think Bjorn Eksen's going to do that? I don't know. But, he's, you know, he's, all we know is that he won last week. We know that Rivetto won the week before and we're going to ride with them and and hope for the best. I mean, this is a, it's in a level of field where I think you can do that. 
Um, I think if we were asking Ackerson or um, Rivetto to go into the Dubai Desert Classic and, and try and win it because they won on the Challenge last week, that would be different. But this is this is a SDC Championship in South Africa that is not even the strongest field that they can put together in South Africa. Um, I think it's the best time to take advantage of, of trying to catch one of these players while they're hot. Yes, absolutely. Um, I will give a shout out now before I go to my last selection for the DP uh, World Tour audio listeners. If you find us, you can find us on all different uh, podcast platforms on Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets, The Mix, a Mayo Media Network. Um, awesome week for Pat, nailing nap uh, from us on vacation. Um, his shirtless selections, man, that might be his new thing for him if he's going <laughs> to uh, rip off some winners. So shout out to Pat. But again, thank you guys all. You can find us uh, on there. And we love all the ratings, reviews, subscribes, YouTube comments, you know, people replying for us on, on victories or tailed us. That's, that's a huge uh, community win. So we love that when uh, we have everybody behind us. So really appreciative to everybody out there. Um, and Tom, I'm going to round it out for me with Robin Williams a golfer that uh, Brad Todd, our friend is super high on. Um, and, you know, Robin was, I believe on a card to kick off the year. We talked about him in kind of the preview events in the fall, which didn't really go his way to start, missed the cut. And then uh, at the South African open, he did make the weekend 45th at the Alfred Dunhill championship. He had opened with a 65, which I believe was the first round lead. Um, if not just right there. Yeah. Solo first round lead at the Alfred Dunhill championship, 71, 72, 75 after there, but Williams then kind of caught again, some form after third and 11th to his last two challenge tour events. He had won twice on the sunshine tour the previous, uh, year in 2023. And what we've seen from the limited statistics recently for him is, you know, top five in greens and regulation, the last two events, for him um and accuracy seems to be a little bit better it's not really his game as much as like a van velsen type but if he's pounding greens at the rate in which he does um i just love the 150s on taking a shot somebody 22 years old i believe he turned professional quite quite young um yeah i think he was professional it must have been 21 so i guess at the age of you know 17 or i guess at age of 19 uh for him so i just think the sky seems to be the limit especially if brad's early on some but I, I like to jump in there too. Um, so 150s for Robin Williams. Yeah, Robin Williams was a player that I'm pretty sure we saw him featured on like Sky Sports at like 12 or 13 years of age. I'm pretty sure his um, parents called it like middle name's Tiger. Tiger, um, yeah. You know, what what kind of pressure do you need to put on you as a young child is to be called Robin Williams and then to have a middle name like Tiger as well. I mean, he's trying to live up to two heroes, I guess, in, in different fields. So, um, yeah, I think, look, as I just said about the two other picks with Rovetto and Ackerson, you're, you're you're taking a chance on a player that's got a high ceiling in a field where he's got a great chance to perform. I think it's low stress. Um, I mean, it might not be low stress in the wind come Thursday, but it's low stress in terms of field strength and time of the year. It's not going to make or break your season. So if you find yourself in that kind of contention, you can take a shot at trying to win it as opposed to you get to August, September, and you're trying to protect those kind of points. Right? Like I think, like Sammy Vanamaki already went into kind of retreat mode by the time he got to like the 16th, 17th. Oh, yes, he was like, I need to protect second. And like that, that's already kicking in for him. But for these players on the DPO tour, they should just be thinking, you know, get in, get 
get some points, get, have a go, um, you know, contending. And I think, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for someone like Robin Williams. And as you said, the the stats suggest that he he's hitting the ball really well, and that's the main thing coming into this week. So, I think this STC Championship, the thing that's blown me the most is kind of like I just remember it being thinking it was a driver heavy course last year or driving distance heavy course last year, and now it's you do need to hit the driver, but you need to hit it accurately. Um, it's kind of retraining myself into that. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's led to some different picks for me that I wasn't necessarily thinking about coming into the week, um, but I'm happy with the process of getting to them in the end. Yeah, was there anybody down the board um, or that we haven't touched on that uh, was close for you? Ashen Wu was close. Um, I thought he was someone that uh, when you talk about accuracy, there's a ton of a good time to get him. When I first looked at the the list i didn't see tom lewis on there and then eventually he was you remember i spoke about the fact that we're we're just waiting for tom lewis to actually play well for the first time ever he was actually eighth going into the weekend and then finished 36 so kind of almost glad sorry tom that he fell away <laughs> um if i was picking a sunshine tour player it'd be keenan david's or david's yeah. Yeah. uh whatever that his name is there but um yeah i don't necessarily believe that he can contend so i didn't bother uh, the other ones I kind of thought about, one, definitely, if, if I pick Natural Vera, Manuel Vera wins, I'm going to be pretty bummed. Um, that, that's going to be pretty tough. So that would be one, I guess, I don't want to win at this stage. Jason Scrivener was kind of a name that, that was there. I think you look at that kind of area now, and you've got Jason Scrivener, Brandon Sono, I mentioned a couple of times in recent events uh, I thought was interesting. The other one name that I do normally like, Sky, especially maybe at South Africa, JC Ritchie. Mm-hmm. Whatever reason, he always kind of flashes up to me in South African events. I mean, it makes sense. He plays well in South Africa an awful lot. Um, didn't get there. But any others for you? Well, I, I, you know, really wanted to bet Robson Chinhoy at 4,000 to one after saying, you know, it was a travesty. He's not in the Magical Kenya Open. Unfortunately, Robson has not shown much on his form. He did have like a 23rd randomly um, recently or 24th. But, you know, for, for Robson, we're, we're always rooting uh, for him. I'm just trying to scroll through. It was nice to see. I had always been like an Ivan Quintero Gutierrez fan. He played well last week in Kenya at a course that was um, super tight like that. Maybe he could carry over. No, I'm just more mad that we don't get Nicolo Galetti in this event. Um, that's really James Nicholas was surprisingly accurate last week. So I'm hoping um, that could be something for him to play well, but. You mentioned no. Sam Jones to me when we just before we came on about like he played well sort of for the first time after a, you know a bit of a patchy effort and he was inside the top fifteen for three rounds. Yes, mm-hmm. that yeah. was that was strong. I'm hoping Jones. Um, so I guess like we did the preview uh, and kind of guys to look on for next week if you look at um, when you got on Hoshino's win and we were going driver heavy. Talk about driver heavy heavy courses. It's next week. Um, that's the one that Nick Bacham had won at. So if there's guys that tick a box in distance, they they're starting to flash, you know, this past, this past week or even more recent than that, uh, or beyond that, um, be ready on Monday morning, uh, next week. Cause that's where my card's going to be. Yeah. And Bacham was like 18th here last year, right before he won that event as well. Yes. So it's kind of, it's, you know, you can pretty much, if someone finished inside the top 20 and they lit down a little bit by irons, but they hit it great off the tee or whatever, I think that's the formula to, success but 
Look, I think there's been a little bit of kind of like bumbling around, maybe on my part more than anything in this um, this episode. And I think it's more just because I think it's just such a hard event to figure out. Like, I, I do really think this is potentially the biggest test of the year in terms of just trying to establish like next week, you know, it's just let's go and find a big hitter and hope for the best. Um, but the SDC Championship does seem to demand accuracy. It does seem to demand a little bit of kind of links now, so a little bit of South African form in the past. So you can you can draw the lines to it, but actually those lines are all over the place. So um, I'm excited for the event, apart from the fact it's not on TV. Um, but other than that, I think it should be a good one, and I'm happy to uh, leave it there in terms of uh, picks and, and kind of predictions. Yep, yep, I agree. Totally uh, in lockstep. So you can uh, review your betting card, and then I'll do mine. Yep, so Adrian Otegi is now 35 to 1. There's been some updates since we've been talking here. Nacho Elvira is 50 to 1. Daniel Brown is best price now, 66 to 1. And um, Rivetto, who was previously 125 to 1, is now 100 to 1. So obviously you've got to decide whether you're happy to say those numbers have slightly dropped off, but I'm happy with all four of those selections still at the prices. Perfect. I am on Ryan Van Velsen. I'm going to go with the 50s with that six way each way uh, with him. Ugo Kusad, 66 as well there with each way. Todd Clemens, I'm going to land on the 90 out to six places versus the 110 to five. Um, and then Bjorn Akeson and Matthias Schwab, both at 110 to one. There's a vast difference in Schwab prices, so make sure you shop. I'm doing a separate top five for both those guys because I don't see Akeson in every single market yet. He's only priced up in a few. DraftKings has him 80, um, so I'm hoping uh, some top fives are nice, but even there's a 110 elsewhere too. And then Robin Williams is 150 with that six way each way too, uh, six place each way as well. So that closes it out um, for the STC championship. Like I said, driver heavy next week, uh, the following. So be ready for that. Hopefully a few guys that we're lurking on, tick a few boxes and we can be in lockstep for that next week too. So Tom, how about three winners in a row? How's that sound? I mean, that would be awesome. And especially it would be awesome if it was at the STC championship, because it'd be the one where I was probably least confident of it happening. So, yep. I mean, I don't want, don't want to, you know, put listeners off this. I think we, you know, the formula's there. We've explained to you what happened last year, and you can obviously get uh, plenty of that from there as well. I think Sky has, you know, made wise selections and then kind of, did, you know, dived into it. I, I do. I, I think we're, you know, I think we're trending really nicely. I think we've had a couple of even near misses as well as those, you know, two wins in a row as well. So, especially with Valamaki, you could have had the double yesterday. That was pretty tough. I know it's not a PJ Tour show, but nice to see a DP World Tour guy that we kind of pointed out, you know, being successful, especially after Matthew Pavon. Uh, three or four weeks over. Well. Yep. Amen. Amen. Let's go out. Uh, I love the South Africa swing, truthfully. So so two big events. At the end of the year, we get that. And hopefully the, the form continues over for a bunch of them. So best of luck, Tom. Thank you guys, everybody. And we will catch you next week. Thanks, guys.